Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much, Mrs. Severe, for giving me this opportunity. <clears throat> I, I think I spoke once before, I don't know how many years ago it was, like two years ago, three years ago. Uh, I was in your, your house when that was the thing back then, <laughs> the different uh, phase of history when you could actually meet in people's homes. <clears throat> so tonight, I um, when I was trying to think of what to speak about, it's interesting. I'm personally going through a difficult time right now. My father is very ill, and uh, this is for Fu Shalema, for him. His name is Meshe Ben Leah. If you could all have him in mind, Meshe Ben Leah, for Fu Shalema. And it uh, helped bring to focus a lot of what I was trying to think about in. Throughout this year, it's been a, an interesting year, to say the least, a difficult one. Um, I myself, as many of you may, might know, I, I myself was quite sick in the beginning, in, uh, back in, right before Pesach, I, I was in the ICU for two weeks. And then, uh, you know, this was not the best year to be in leadership. <laughs> it was a very, uh, very difficult struggle. And... Um, and I want to share with you a thought I have about living through difficult times and trying to understand what it is that Hashem wants from us, which is what we're all trying to understand. And there's different, a lot of different things that we can think about. And there was just a certain one thought that I would like to share with you. And a lot of it, actually, I was, I realized you see it very clearly in the Haftarah of this week's parsha, Parshas of Vayera. The Haftarah of this week's parasha is a very interesting Haftarah. It's a long story, a long story related in Tanakh and Mulachim about Elisha Hanavi. And the primary focus of the story, say it's like uh, 30 psukim, so I would say 25 psukim uh, or more or whatever, 20 psukim, two-thirds of it is all about a very famous story, well-known story, the Isha Shunamis. The Isha Shunamis and Elisha and their their uh, relationship, and she was a very holy lady, and she's called by the Pasik. the Pasik testifies, she's an Isha Gedoyla, a great woman, and she hosted Elisha Hanavi, she beg begged him to stay by her, and he did, and then she built him a special room, and a bed, and a chair, and a table, and a menorah, a lamp, and as a result, Elisha promised her a child, she had been childless for many years, and she was zeichet to that child, but then the child died, and a whole drama ensues, and eventually Elisha was Mechaim Esim, he brought the child back to life. And that's the whole, the majority of the Haftarah, and presumably what the purpose of the Haftarah is. And it needs to be understood, what does this reflect on our parasha, how does it teach us to understand different parts of our parasha, but it's clearly the point and the purpose of this Haftarah. And there's a lot to talk about that, but that's not what I'm going to talk about tonight. Because what's interesting about this Haftarah is that it begins with a different story. And it's seemingly unrelated, it's an unrelated story, and it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the other story, and it's a question, why is it even mentioned? Like, why start from there, if the main thing you're trying to tell us is the story of the Isha Shunamis? Now, let me tell you what the other story is, which is the first part of the Aftira. The first part of the Aftira relates to the story, it's also about a woman, interestingly, and it's 
about the wife of what the Pasik calls one of the Bnei HaNavim, which typically means the students of the Nevi'im. But actually, she was the wife of one of the Nevi'im of Treyasar. She was the wife of Avadya HaNavi. So Avadya HaNavi is one of the 12 Nevi'im who, who have a couple of Prakhan of Treyasar. He actually is the shortest one. He has only one parak. And she was a widow. Her husband had passed away. The Navi Avadya had passed away. And Avadya had led a very interesting life. He was apparently a Navi in secret. He was a Navi in hiding because he was a servant of no other than Achav and Izebel. Achav, the king of, of, of Yisrael, and Izebel, his wife, both of them famous for their Avadya the Baal that they brought to a whole new level that had previously not been done and served in, in, in Klal Yisrael, and they brought Klal Yisrael down to very, very deep depths. And he was their servant. He was part of their court. And he did not serve the purpose of rebuking them. That was Eliyahu Navi's job. Eliyahu Navi was the one who rebuked Dachav and who brought on a drought and made all the, the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to bring upon Achav, that was not Avadja's job. Avadja had a one prophecy, which is related in Treyasar, which he prophecies about the land of Edom, meaning the children of Esav, and he talks about their destruction. And that's it. He clearly was not there to rebuke Achav, to show them the proper way. That was not his purpose. That was not his purpose as a Navi. But he served Achav. And being in that position of being Achav's servant allowed him to do a tremendous act of heroism. Izevel made it her job, she made a witch hunt, to seek and destroy all the Nevi'e Hashem. They had Nevi'e HaBal, they were the, the Avedah Zara's Nevi'im, and she was there to destroy every single Navi she could get her hands on, and she was largely successful. Him being, Achav being in the palace, being you know, privy to what they were doing, he was able to save 100 Nevi'im. He got 100 Nevi'im out of her clutches. He saved them from her plan, clearly from being knowledgeable about what she was planning on doing and where she was going to go. And he took these 100 Nevi'im and he put 50 in one cave and he put 50 in another cave. And he provided them with food and clothing and kept them alive. It's not clear how long, but it would seem at least three years, maybe longer. So he single-handedly risked his own life, clearly, because he was betraying his master, he was betraying the king and the queen, and, and undoing their plan and acting against them, and he saved the lives of a hundred Nevi'e Hashem. However, the problem is that feeding a hundred people and clothing a hundred people is very, very expensive. Where did Achav get all the money from? Where did, I'm sorry, Avadi get all the money from to feed them and to, to, to save them? And the answer is he had to take a loan. Something we're familiar with, right? So he took a loan, and the loan he took was from the son of Achav, Yehoram ben Achav. And Yehoram ben Achav, being a Russia, lent him with ribis, with interest. And he couldn't pay it back, and he died before he was able to pay it back. And the interest kept on accruing. And this woman, the wife of, of, of Aja, was now threatened by Yehoram, and he told her, this is it. You either repay my debt, or I'm going to take your two children, which were her only, apparently her only two children, I'm going to take them as slaves. So she approaches Elisha and seeks help from Elisha Hanavi. And she tells Elisha, you know that my husband feared God. 
You know that my husband was a Yurei Hashem. Now, an interesting term to use about a Navi. One would imagine a Navi is a Yurei Hashem, right? But it's actually a very specific terminology that refers to the heroism that Avadya did, that he saved these Neviim. Because if you think a little bit to a, to a Pasuk in Chumash that I think we're all very familiar with, in the beginning of Shmais, when the two Mialdois, Shifra and Pua, saved all the babies, acting against Pare, betraying Pare, essentially, who they had accepted his decree, they, the Pasuk says, When they feared God, and they saved all those babies. It's a very specific terminology used when someone can stand up against authority, stand up against social pressures, stand up and, against, and, and put his own life on the line for what they know morally is the right thing to do, the true thing to do. The only way a person can do that, it's not possible to do that. You can't withstand that kind of pressure. You can only do that with Yerashimayim. So she was referring to the way that Avadu was able to do that. He was a Yorei Elikim, and it was possible for him to do this tremendous, tremendous act of heroism because when you have Yerushimayim, you can be unmovable. When you have that kind of faith, you can be, have that kind of strength to stand up against a king and a queen. So she refers to the act that, that Avadu did, and she says, what am I supposed to do now? My debtor is going to come, and he wants to take my two children as slaves. So Alicia asks her, what do you have in your house? So she says, all I have left is one jug of oil. That's it. So he tells her, go out and borrow vessels from your neighbors. Al-Tamiti, don't diminish. Borrow jugs, borrow barrels, borrow cups, borrow dishes, anything you can get your hand of. Empty vessels and bring it into your house. Then go... And this is the key pasuk where we're going to be focusing on. He says, go and lock the door. Lock the door and only you and your two children should be there. And then pour the jug of oil into one of the vessels. And as soon as the vessel fills up, don't stop pouring, don't move the jug. Take the, the full vessel away, put another empty vessel there and continue doing that until you fill all the vessels. So the Pasik says it's exactly what she did. She went into the house, she went there, she locked the door, she, they borrowed tons of kalim, she poured and the oil just flowed and it flowed and it flowed and it filled up and as soon as it would fill up a jug, it would fill up a barrel, they would move it away, pull another one in its place until she said, bring the next one and they said, they're all full. So then it stopped. And now the Pasik says, she went out and told Alicia what happened. And she asked Alicia, what should I do? And Alicia told her, go sell it. And when you sell it, you'll be able to pay up your debt, and there'll be enough money left over for you to live off the remainder. And Chazal say, not only for the rest of your lives, but till you'll be able to support your family with the rest of the money. That's it. You know, they had, they had a guaranteed bank account for the rest of their live generations, everything, till so this, this is the first story related in the Haftarah. We have to understand why the Haftarah starts from there, what the connection is. But I want to focus on what does the story actually teach us? What's the lesson of this story? What is the story coming to tell us? And obviously many things, there are many things we can learn from every story in Chazal, but I want to point out the one thing that stands out, which I emphasized before. Alicia warned her to borrow empty vessels, enter her house, lock the door, close the door and lock it. Why? The miracle had to occur in privacy, in secrecy. Even Alicia wasn't there. Only her and her two children. And when you think about it, it seems strange. Because 
What's a miracle for, right? A miracle, HaKadosh Baruch Hu changes the Teva, he changes the nature of the world. It's meant to sanctify Hashem's name, right? It's meant to bring the, the clarity, the vision that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, here he rules the world, he's in control of everything, he can do what he wants, it'll banish all the questions, it'll clarify all the sveikas, it'll make all the scoffers be quiet. That's the purpose of a miracle. So why would you lock the door? Why would you do it in the, in the street in front of everybody? Why would a miracle be restricted to a private home with no witnesses except the direct benefit, beneficiaries of the miracle and even to the exclusion of Elisha Navi himself? So Rashi says, Kvoid Hanais Behetzna. It's only respectful. It's only on, an honor to the miracle to be in private. Now what is this supposed to mean? Why would that be? Why would it be respectful for the miracle to be in private? So I think that this gives us a perspective, a true perspective, on what Kiddush Hashem truly means. What does it mean to sanctify Hashem's name? HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man, Yechidi. He made, made, created man alone. And what this essentially means is that a person can fully bring down Hashem's Shechina to this world. We can realize the purpose of creation without having a single other person there, without having to demonstrate anything to anybody else, without having to make an open display of anything. You can recognize your full potential and reason for existing in this world in full, total seclusion. The miracle that occurred to this woman, the wife of Avadja, who was for the purpose of sanctifying Hashem's name, and the sanct- sanctification of Hashem's name Kiddush Hashem really only can occur in one way only. There's only one way that could be true Kiddush Hashem. True Kiddush Hashem, which is the true Gilei of Malchus Shemaim, the true demonstration that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Ein Oed Nelvada, He runs the world, is when we demonstrate that we have no other purpose in life other than to serve Hashem. When we make ourselves into empty vessels, when we make ourselves truly empty vessels, that there's nothing of us here, then there's room for the oil to flow and to fill those empty vessels, the bracha of Hashem to come and fill us up. Our emptiness is actually the catalyst which brings down the tremendous flow and demonstration of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's blessing. But that, blessing, that blessing requires privacy and it thrives on privacy. The presence of others make a miracle into a public event, and it takes away from the full hisbatlos that a person could have to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It takes away from the ability of a person to truly recognize within himself that I have no other purpose here, I have no other reason, I have no other desire in my life other than to fulfill HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. When there are other people then you become a spectacle. When there are other people, you become an item of attention. There's fanfare, there's publicity, there's personal gain. There's covet, there's haughtiness, there's gaiva, and then there's you, and once there's you, there's interference. The true Kiddush Hashem actually requires Panemius to be effective. It requires that privacy, that aloneness with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for a person to truly recognize who he is, what he is, his humility, how he needs to, how we need to create ourselves, empty ourselves, so that we can receive the blessing of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. 
And that was the utmost sanctification of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name. What does this mean for us? It's the recognition that our ultimate and true Avedis Hashem, the real Kiddush Hashem, which is expected of every single person, every single Jew, is something which is actually specifically going to take place behind closed doors with no one else there, when we're alone with ourselves. When we have only us and Hashem, we have the ability to truly humble ourselves and take away any shred of self-importance and haughtiness and become a true vessel for Malchus Shemayim. And that's when the miracles begin. And the miracle themselves could be very personal miracles. And that's the oil, so to speak, where we see Hashem's presence, where we feel Hashem's love. And when we feel to, we start having that connection, that personal connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, once we've taken away everything else that occupies our mind. In relation to the parasha, and I find this fascinating, if you look at, you know, there's three parishes that talk about Abraham Avinu, Lach Lecha, Vayera, and they talk pretty exclusively about Abraham Avinu, and they talk about Sarah a little bit. And if you think about the things we know about Sarah, they need to be understood. It, on the superficial level, they almost seem critical, the things that we have about Sarah, her relationship with Hagar, then the beginning of this parasha, how she relates to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's prophecy that she'll have children. We need to understand them. But there's one open compliment that's paid, played, that's paid to Sarah. There's one clear praise that's given to Sarah. And that's the beginning of the parasha. The angels come and they ask Avram Avinu, Ay, Sarah, where is your wife? And Avram answers, Hine ba'ayol, she's in the tent. And Rashi explains, she's in the tent, she's tenua. She's, she's modest. And Rashi explains, the Malachim didn't have to ask, where is Sarah? It's not even relevant where Sarah is, actually, to what they wanted to say, and, and they knew where Sarah was. Why were they asking it? And Malachim say, the Rashi says, they were only asking, in order to, to, provoke, to invoke Avram Avinu's love for Sarah. Why? Because she's in the tent. Not, where else would she be? I mean, <laughs> obviously she's in the tent. Why is that such a big deal? She was Tanua, she was in the tent. Is that such a big deal? What is the big deal about that? But when you think about this tent, this wasn't a regular tent. I mean, it's the potential that every Jewish home has, but they were the, the ultimate Jewish home. Her tent was holier, or as holy, as the Kaidish HaKadoshim and the Beis HaMikdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence was openly displayed there. There was a cloud above the tent. That means the Shechina rested there as it rested on the Kruvim, as it rested in the Kaidish HaKadoshim. And Malachim hung out there regularly because that's where Hashem was. So that's where the Malachim were. If you lived in Avram and Sarah's tent, you were living openly with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The level of Kedusha and focus and connection that was required is obviously beyond anything that we even can dream of comprehending. If Sarah was in Ba'ayal, that means she was fulfilling the ultimate purpose of a human being. She was alone with Hashem. She was Tsunua. She was away from fanfare. She was away from anywhere else. She didn't want anybody to see her, to, to give her any reason that she should have an anoichias, she should have a sense of, of myself, of, 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 of taking place. She had fullest batlas ta'kadosh baruch and that was her Avodah Hashem, and that's what she achieved in a level which was 
from the highest levels possible. And that was, that was a tremendous chavivus that they brought to Avraham Avinu's attention. She was Ba'al. And that's where all of us, every single Jew, strives to be Ba'al, meaning in that place, alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let me explain a little bit how this plays out for us. When, when I was in, in the hospital... So I experienced something that I had never experienced before, and that was total, full, uh, utter seclusion. Never went through something like that in my life. For two weeks, I mean, this is on the beginning of COVID when they, they, like, they didn't understand anything. They didn't let anybody into the room. No one was allowed into the room. The nurses went into the room for like, you know, Amini Heshmi Rabbah, and they ran out. <laughs> they did what they had to do, and they were out. So the majority of the day, for two weeks, they basically had no human contact. Uh, and it, it was a feeling that, after experiencing it, can't explain it to anybody else. Uh, it gave me an appreciation for loneliness that I never had in my life. And again and again, in the beginning especially, I was sick, I, couldn't, I could barely daven, I couldn't really learn. What was I doing? What was there to do? What was my purpose there? And the more... Being in that position, and when you're in the ICU, it's very, very humbling. You can't really do a lot of your things that you do naturally. It's, it's a very humbling experience. You become more and more aware of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's presence. It's, a, it's just, the two things go hand in hand. The, le- the less space we take up ourselves, the more awareness we have of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's presence there. And it's something that Chazal say, is Baruch Hu is hangs around, his shechina rests on Rosh Hashanah, around the, the bed of someone who is sick, around someone who's humbled, or someone who's been humbled, someone who's going through a difficult time. It, it, it's, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there because he feels our pain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there to, to assist us and to, to support us, but it's much more than that. We make it possible for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be there. When we, beca- get, when we, re- when we re- realize our humility, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence fills up the room. And the connection that we can achieve at that point is the true, ultimate sanctification of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. That is true Kiddush Shem Shemayim. No one else is there. No one else sees it. No one else knows it. No one else feels it. We feel it ourselves. And when we feel that connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we've taken an empty keli and we've started filling it up with oil. One after another, after another, after another, until there's no kelim anymore. And... Moving forward, once I got out of that situation, obviously I'm not, Baruch Hashem, I'm feeling much better, I'm fully recovered, and I'm not there anymore. And I don't have that anymore. But it gave me an idea of where we could be. And when relating to other people as well, the struggle of leadership in particular in in, in COVID is that there are people with such such drastic, drastically different needs. On one hand, there's people, we're reopening the shul and we're trying to make it a, a welcoming place and we're trying to, to cater to people that are able to come to shul and that takes a lot of effort because it's not easy and it, it, a lot of things have to be met and etc. It's hard, it's straining. It takes a lot of emotional energy. But then there's also people who can't come to shul and they're home. And, 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 and it's, I, we have to find place, all of us, in our hearts for everybody. And it's been a struggle. And 
the recognition I have is that the more I can get myself out of the way, which is hard, but the more we can take ourselves out of the way, the more room we have in our heart for everybody. The more we can make ourselves into an empty keli, so we can emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu in that way as well, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has space and has place for everybody. And it, it's a perspective, and it's an understanding of that's where we can have true, true Kiddush Shem Shemayim. We can accomplish our full and ultimate purpose in this world, if we can do that. And every little bit we accomplish of that is a whole other barrel of oil, so to speak, of miraculous oil. And being alone was a hard experience. But in retrospect, I realized what I got out of it. And it, it, it elevated me tremendously. And I want to finish with a last point, going back to the Haftarah. She, after she fills up all the Caleb, after they, all the oil gets filled up, she goes back to Elisha and she asks, what should I do with them? And Elisha says, go sell them. And Mepharshim asks, what should you do with them? What do you think you should do with them? <laughs> I mean, you had a problem, you had a debt, now you have uh, miraculous oil, barrels and barrels, of course, sell it and pay off your debt. What do you think you're supposed to do with them? And perhaps what the pshat is, is after she filled up all those, uh, those barrels of miraculous oil, so she had Shem and Nase in her house, at that point she said, I don't want to give it away. I don't want it to go, I don't want to part with it. I want to keep it in my home. This is the embodiment of my connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It doesn't belong outside. I need it. I, what should I do? So she went to Alicia with this quandary. What should I do now? I, I want to keep this shaman at home. And he answered her, it's not a problem. It's Shemin There is so much blessing, there's enough for everyone. Sell it. And you'll have that oil for the rest of your lives to all your generations will be affected by it. It's not just you. You'll never part from that oil. Once you've achieved that level, it's there and it's there to stay forever. And that, I feel, is a very powerful and inspiring point of this Haftarah is that the more we empty ourselves, the fuller we become, and the more permanent the blessing becomes in our home, and the, the, the greater the Kiddush Shemayim we create. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you so much, Reverend Frank. See, guys, this-